Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray, Lord, in thanks that we can come together this morning and uh, open your word and uh, leave a world, Lord, where there is so much uncertainty and so much gray. And, Lord, we can come to a place where it's black and white, Lord, where there's such a thing as truth that's not shaded. And, Father, we need that. We need that, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you'd give us the grace to know everything that you are, that to be a people that, Lord, are seekers of your heart, that we would be like King David in that way, who pleased you so much, Lord, by just simply seeking after your heart, Lord. He had not a perfect life, very flawed, Lord, as we are, but he sought after your heart, Lord. I just pray that you would form us into those people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated. So in Psalm 40, verse 2, King David declares, The Lord has brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the muck and the mire. He has set my feet upon a rock. And how uh, sometimes we get caught up uh, in a whirlwind of distraction, of sadness, of confusion. And we need the Word of God to just pierce our hearts in the loudest, clearest way. In the innermost way, that he has just set our feet upon a rock. And so uh, we read, actually in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, verse 4, that Christ is our rock. Uh, The word says that he is the alpha and the omega, uh, the beginning and the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His life, his death, his resurrection, they're immovable, they're... uh, They are unshakable. They're solid as as a rock, and that's the foundation of our lives. And so, verse 1 of chapter 15, we've actually been in for a couple weeks, says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which means good news, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, and in which you stand. So the gospel means good news. What is the good news? Verse 4, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Verse 5, that he was buried. 
and that on the third day he rose again. Now we spent a lot of time in the first 14 chapters of this letter, 1 Corinthians. I think we started about a year ago in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, discussing all the issues that this church has or had. No, did they have uh, issues. We've gone over them so many times. They had rival groups competing with one another. They had open, unhidden sexual immorality. They had open drunkenness and a circus-like atmosphere in their church service. What an incredible testimony it is just to, to the grace of God. The Apostle Paul can say something like he does in verse 1. He says, I declare to you the good news in which you stand and by which you are saved. Verse 2. Wow. If that's not a testimony to the grace of God, I, I don't know what is. But, you know, you, you look and you reflect on where we've been in this, in this letter. And, you know, if this was not Paul speaking, if this was not the Apostle Paul speaking, if this wasn't the Word of God we were reading, uh, I would find this very hard to believe. Saved? These people? Yes, saved. And Paul says, standing standing on a rock. What a testimony to the grace and faithfulness of God. But uh, we do need to understand, though, or ask ourselves, then why all the issues? And going through 1 John, and throughout that letter, it just says that if a man has, the, has God in them, if they've born, been born of God, they will stop sinning. So why, why all the issues? Why all the, the, the sin? Why all the craziness? Well, verse 12, where we started. It explains everything. It really does. Verse 12 explains everything. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some, some had the teaching had been going through the church that Jesus was not raised from the dead, that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. That's a foolish thing. It's foolishness. It's superstition. And what resulted? Well, the first 14 chapters of this letter. Never believe, never buy into the lie that doctrine doesn't matter. Another way of putting it, never believe that letting go of a fundamental teaching of the Bible will have no consequence in your life or in the church. Just look at Corinth and what happened to them. You know, on our website, we have uh, a section entitled Statement of Faith. And we don't take, you know, any part of that statement of faith lightly at all. Each, each section is carefully chosen. But in the very first line, if you've ever been there, 
there is a sentence that says that we adhere to the, all the doctrines as reflected in the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to go super high-tech, at least for our church this morning, and I'm going to just I'm gonna beam these onto, the, uh, onto the, the screen back here. And this is what we have on our website, on our statement of faith. The Apostles' Creed, okay? Just get my Bible out of the way. The Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed, it was something that was written in about the year 100, maybe a little after it originated from that time, and it was written because really the same type of thing that Paul is talking about in this verse, all kinds of weirdness started creeping into the church, and it wasn't as if Jesus didn't warn the disciples that that very thing would happen. He says, many false prophets, many deceivers will come among you. And so they just established uh, these things, and it became a creed of the early church. I believe God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and then he descended into hell. That speaks not only to the fact that Jesus did that. It did say that he, you know, it's not like he went into a swoon or he hallucinated or went into a coma. He descended into the place of the dead, and the Bible says that he actually preached to them. But it also speaks of the reality of hell. And the fifth point here, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, meaning the living and the dead. It says quick, that's an old-fashioned way of saying you're alive. You're alive for a very quick, short time period. Uh, he's going to come back and he shall come to judge the, those who are alive and the dead. And I... And it continues, I believe in the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. And in 12 there it says, what is it? And life everlasting. That's right. Amen. And so can you just cover that up for a second? I'm going to bring that back in a second. But these are what I would call the very, the very basic beliefs of any Christian. In other words, this is Christianity in its most simplest form, most rudimentary form, if I could say that. And so there are many things, of course, that different denominations disagree on. They disagree on what baptism's all about, whether you baptize infants or adults, they disagree on, uh, you know, when, what's going to happen when Jesus returns and how that's all going to play out. They uh, disagree on many issues like the death penalty and this type of thing, uh, whether or not that is valid uh, uh, in light of the, the ministry of Christ. However, there are certain things that are not negotiable, and that is what 
those 12 points represent. And another way of putting it, if you take away any of those 12 points, you don't have Christianity anymore. You may have a religion. If your name is Bob, you can name it Bob's religion, Bobbyanity. Or if your name is Sue, it's the religion of Sue. But you don't have Christianity. Now, there are some who call themselves Christians who uh, really don't like this kind of talk. I mean, why get all uptight? You know, let's just cool out and get around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. And everything will turn out okay. And, you know, how, 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 as long as we, you know, we who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, you know, what could go wrong? Well, I'll tell you what can go wrong. The first 14 chapters of Corinthians, that's what can go wrong. And that's, what's, that's a living testimony. I mean, the church, is, as we've read, was the most carnal, the most least uh, Christ-like, the strangest, the weakest, the most unstable, and by far had the most sin issues of any church Paul ever wrote to. The poor guy had to sit down and write an 11,000-word letter. And then he write, writes another one that's about 9,000, and there was one in between, which is referred to in 2 Corinthians, which was lost. I mean, this poor guy. I mean, that, you know, Philemon, all he had to do was write about 100 words. But, you know, the Corinthians had so many issues, uh, thousands and thousands, you know, and we hated those 500-word essays, you know. And, and, and Paul, I mean, these people had a serious rap sheet. I remember when I was in college, I worked at a at a place called Crisis Control where people would come in and they had, their house had burned down, they didn't have a place to live or they didn't have food or whatever and, and, and they'd give us their files before they came in. Sometimes the file was one sheet long, the per- first time the person had been there. And other times, man, you'd get these people's file and, and these things literally were this big and you're like, ooh, this person has some serious issues. And you just knew what was coming. You knew what was going to walk in the door. It's just going to, a person who is just unbelievably wounded, just weighted down, you know, with issues. And, and that's how uh, this church uh, was. But, you know, I got to tell you, up until this point in the letter, uh, the, the, up to the 15th chapter, I don't know about you, I, I find it, found it, just uh, without reading on, just a little bewildering. I mean, why this many issues? Why this bad? I mean, the Apostle Paul mentions pride several times along the way. Pride's a pretty bad thing. It's the sin of the devil. But, you know, a lot of churches have pride. But a man having sex with his father's wife, chapter 5? People in the church suing each other in court, chapter 6? People getting drunk and passing out at their communion service? Chapter, uh, what was that, chapter 11? Lots of churches had pride issues. Not those. In fact, in chapter 5 of Corinthians, it says that they were doing stuff not even that Corinthians would do. So what happened? Well, verse 12 explains everything. The, the teaching began to spread around that there was really no such thing as the resurrection. And I'm being completely serious with you. For me... That puts, puts all the pieces of the puzzle into place because without exception, 
I have never met a person who called themselves a Christian, who created sort of a faith for themselves, called it Christianity, but removed one of these 12 points without reaping huge consequences, just enormous consequences in their life. Many of them just wind up walking away from their faith. And so let this be a warning to all our hearts. Paul says, why is it that some of you are buying into this lie that Jesus never rose from the dead? Let it be a warning to, to, to all um, our hearts. You know, it's true. We are standing on a rock, but the rock is made up of something. It's not just a rock of thin air. It's a solid rock. It's immovable and sure that, that, you know, God is our Father. He's Almighty. He's the Maker of heaven and earth. And and Jesus Christ, He's the only begotten Son. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and that He rose again from the dead. So you take any of those away or any of the other 12 points. You're no longer standing on a rock. Your life is no longer built upon a rock. What did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon of the Mount? What did he say happened to the man or woman who built, who, 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 uh, who built their life on the rock. Matthew 7, 25, when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall. Why? It was founded. The foundation, it was grounded on the rock. But what happened uh, to the man, the woman, who decided to against building their life on the rock. Well, I know that's what Jesus said, and I know that's who he is, but I'm going to make the religion of Frank, and I'm going to just put it over here. What happened to that person? Well, it says that when the rain descended, the floods uh, came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. Sound familiar? Sounds like the church of Corinth to me. Now, you may ask, well, why? Why is it that if you remove just any of those 12 points, I mean, what is it, some, like, magic thing? I, I, you know, why is it when you move just one of these 12 points, it's the equivalent of building your life on the sand? Well, you know, if we had the time, a lot of it, because it would take about 12 sermons, we could do that. With each one of these 12 points, let me just put them up, back up here. For example, you know, what would happen if uh, I just took that first one away, which, by the way, many do. M- many take this away. The, actually, Eastern religion or, or, or a Christian who's sort of adopted uh, pantheism uh, will take away that first one. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Well, I could, I could spend a whole sermon of why... Uh, adopting that, or, or a Christian, or someone who calls themselves a Christian, who sort of pulls that into their life, why well, everything's going to crumple and fall. That Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, only begotten. Mormons believe that there's not 
an only begotten son. Everyone can one day be a god. And I, can, I could give you a sermon on what would happen. And, you know, many uh, men of God and women of God could, could, could explain to you why it is, uh, that um, uh, why your faith would crumple uh, if you remove that second one. And, and the third was conceived by the Holy, Spirit, uh, Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, that one as well. You can, uh, you can cover it up. Um, but the, the, it's the fifth one that uh, I want to spend some time on uh, this morning, that Jesus Christ, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Why is it that if you remove that, all of a sudden, everything's going to crumple, much like it did uh, in Corinth. Uh, why is that? Why should that have such a profound uh, effect on someone's life? How does not believing in that, how is that going to lead me in the way of the church of Corinth? Let's continue reading. It says again in verse 12, now Christ has preached that he has risen from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Now, that word empty, a Greek word, interesting Greek word, could also be translated hollow. Can also be translated powerless. So you could say, uh, there, you could read, if Christ is not risen, uh, our preaching is powerless. Your faith is powerless. You could translate the, or read the verse uh, in that way. Now, in John 16, why is it, why, why if Christ is risen, why, why is some, why if he's not risen, how does that sort of lead me down to the place where, well, then my faith in him is, is powerless. Well, uh, Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 7, hours before he was arrested and taken away to be crucified, he told his disciples what was about to happen, that he would be betrayed, arrested, tried by the chief priests, handed over uh, to the Romans and crucified. And needless to say, it would be the understatement of the year, uh, those guys were bumming. I mean, they were upset. And, but Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, um, uh, he goes on to say uh, in verse 6 after that, he says, because I, have said these, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So then the book of Acts, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples. What does he declare to them? Acts chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. In other words, he's going back. He's relating them back to the, uh, to the conversation he had earlier uh, had uh, uh, with them. Wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water. Speaking of John the Baptist. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what happened? Sure enough, a few days later, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says they were all in, in one accord, meaning they were all in, in, in one place at one time praying. And the whole, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what happened? These cowardly men... Filled with fear. The Bible says when Jesus was arrested, they forsook him and scattered. At the cross, other than the Apostle John, they were all in hiding. Hiding underneath beds throughout Jerusalem, you know. And women, they were just like hanging out at the cross. I, I can't fully explain that one. But uh, the women were all at the cross. But uh, the men, they were, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is what we really are, men, at the end of the day. Hiding under a bed somewhere. Scared. Fear of man. Taking over our life. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. Acts chapter 2. What happened? They went out. They declared the gospel with power. They got arrested. They thrown in prison. They went out. They declared the gospel. It says uh, thousands of men and women who had previously, their hearts had been warring against God, became born again by the Spirit of God. And, and, and we're given new life uh, by, by God. And so um, what do we learn from all of that? What do we learn from all of that? Well, what did they have after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They were filled with that resurrection power, that resurrection power. It was no longer an empty, powerless faith. So here's the deal. No resurrection no Holy Spirit. Again, what did Jesus say in John 16? If I do not go, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. No resurrection, no Holy Spirit. Really, it's worse. It's no Jesus in our lives. No Holy Spirit, no power. No power. The Corinthian church is what you're left with people who had been infected by that teaching. You know, I don't know about you, but can you or do you sometimes try to imagine what it would be like to live out your Christian life without being empowered by the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine living in Corinth without the power of Christ in you? With all the, the craziness that was there. And I was thinking of Boston. And Boston's like a, Boston's got a lot of Corinth in it. You know, they worship sports there. And, you know, there's that temple to Aphrodite with a thousand prostitutes working as priests and giving out the love that they thought that God gave. There's a lot of Corinth in Boston. There's a lot of Athens in Boston. Remember Athens in the book of Acts where they were just, you know, heard about the resurrection of the dead. They began to mock him. Who's this babbler? There's a lot of Ephesus 
When we read about Ephesus, there was a lot of superstition there. There's a lot of religion and superstition in the city. I don't know about you. But I have absolutely no desire to go out there and live my life without the power of Christ in me, without the hope of glory who is in me. And what happened to the people who decided, no, we're going to make up our own religion, call it the religion of Corinth? Well, we've read about it. Again, I don't know about you. I don't want to go there. And so, you know, I think of what Paul declares in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 5. He says, do you not know Jesus Christ is in you? He's like pleading with them. Get your act together. Jesus Christ is, is within you. And so, you know, I have no interest at all living in the, in the world without just the full power of the resurrected Christ without the fullness of God in my life. I, I, I've been there, done that, have no desire to go back to that place. You know, there's a, a, a wonderful illustration in Exodus, chapter 32 and 33 of all of this. Moses had just come back from Mount Sinai. He was up on the mountain receiving the law of God. And, and you know, the people grew impatient. And they went to his brother because, you know, Moses was up there for days and days and days and, and weeks, actually, and... And he went to his brother Aaron and said, make us a God. As for this man Moses, uh, we don't know where he's at. And so Aaron, you know, he, everyone got off their gold earrings. He made a golden calf. And, you know, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. And they were worshiping this thing. And they said they, they were sitting down, but they rose up and they had, and they, and they began to play, and that word play has some sort of you know, sexual connotation there. Where there's a crazy kind of playing and partying that was going around, around that golden calf. So Moses comes down the mountain, uh, and he sees what's going on, and he, he, he's, he gets so angry, he smashes the uh, Ten uh, Commandments, which had been written on a, a tablet there. And uh, the Lord, uh, Lord's judgment comes around on the people, and, and the Lord says uh, to Moses, he said to him, okay, you know, after things settle down, after a few days things settle down, he said, okay, listen, you go up into the land of promise and I'll send an angel with you and I'll take away out all those other peoples who are living there. But I'm not going to go with you. I am not going to go with you. I myself won't be there, but I'll send, uh, I'll send my angel with you. Now, uh, the angel... Sending an angel, you know, that's no insignificant thing. You know, we think of angels, we think of, you know, a Michelangelo painting. You know, there's a little baby with little wings on it and flying around, ooh, you know, a little baby Mia with little wings on her, you know, this type of thing. Well, it's there nothing of the sort. What happened every time someone was confronted with an angel of God in the Bible? They were terrified. I mean, consider Matthew chapter 28 there's a couple of Roman soldiers, one of the most violent, cruel, bold uh, soldiers ever known in the history of man. They were, they were, the, they were, the tomb was sealed. There, there was a, a rock that was a boulder on top of the tomb. It was about one ton, scholars say, or more. And it says that an angel came down, or actually what it says is 
an earthquake happened because, you can read it yourself in Matthew 28, the angel of the Lord came down. This is what some kind of angel. Well, it's, you know, earthquakes, the, the guy is so strong. Or not the guy, whatever, whatever the creature, the angel. And it says that the, 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 um, his countenance was like lightning, his clothing was white as snow, and the guard shook for fear of him like, and became like dead men. So, you know, God promising Moses an angel to go up into the promised land, that's no insignificant thing. But I love Moses' response to all of this. Just love it. What does he say? It's one place in the Bible where disobedience was probably, well, it wasn't probably, it was really obedience. He said, forget it. And he, what did he do? He sat down outside the camp and just sat there. And he didn't move an inch. The Lord had told him, you now go up. I'm going to send them, that my angel with you. He just sat down there and he said, I'm not going. If you're not going, I'm not going. Well, remember where he was. Remember where Moses was. He was in the Sinai Peninsula. Now, have any of you... Has anyone ever been to the Sinai? I'm going to be really impressed. Anyone, anyone ever been to the Sinai Peninsula? Okay. Anyone's ever seen any pictures of the Sinai Peninsula? I mean, this place is, you talk about a barren, desolate wasteland. I mean, you know, the deserts in the United States, they're wimpy. They have cactuses. You know, every once in a while you'll see a cactus. I mean, there's not a shred of green for thousands of miles in the Sinai Peninsula. I was looking at some pictures of it last night, and it's like, you know, it's like the face of the moon on Earth. I mean, it's crazy, just craters, and just, I don't know how anyone lived there. That's where Moses was. That's where Moses was, and he said, okay, if, I, if, if, if you're not going with us, I'm staying here. And oh, would you and I that we would come to the place in our life where with all our hearts and minds and soul, we're right in that very place. We're right in that very place. It doesn't matter where we are. We'd rather have the fullness of God. Forget about the angel of God. The angels of God are, are dwell all throughout the earth. I want the fullness of God. So maybe it's, you know, your life this morning, you found it feeble, your Christian life, your spiritual life, anemic, weak, empty, powerless. Maybe it's because you were in a wilderness place with God and decided to take that shortcut and go off to that green, lush place with God's angel, but... There, the fullness of God is not with you. God always gives us a free will to do that. The Bible says that when God called Abraham out of the land of Babylon, he, he took him to the promised land. What it was there? A famine. Abraham sort of freaked out. 
But guess what? That's where the Lord always brings us. He removes, he brings us to the place where he removes every kind of comfort so that we'll get to know him. First John chapter 5 says that the Son of God was raised from the dead. Why? So that the Son of God came so that we could know him. And that word know doesn't mean know of. The Greek word is a, a, a relational thing where uh, it's only this, this Greek word is used when, when you actually have experience and you, you have a relationship with the thing that you know. So I know Stephanie, my wife. I know of George Bush. Different Greek word than the know that is used uh, again, there in First uh, John chapter five, and really throughout the New Testament, Paul goes, uh, you know, I would, uh, I would, I consider all my accomplishments rubbish, just so that I may know same word, relationally, the living God. So maybe you, you know, you you were in that place, that barren wilderness, and it seemed like uh, a crazy place for God to uh, to have you, and you took that shortcut, but God wanted you that God wanted you there. Now, eventually, God, of course, did bring Moses. Uh, uh, actually, Moses actually got to see it because of a, a, a later sin that he did, but he took the children of Israel to that lush place. They had a lot of growing up to do. But maybe, maybe, you know, if you're in that feeble, anemic, empty, powerless place in, in your spiritual life, it's because your, your faith, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, is empty. Again, what does it say? And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. It's powerless because you have forgotten that your Savior Jesus is the risen Lord. He's not in the grave. He's not on the cross. He's risen. He's the living God and, and, and He's the resurrected Christ and He wants to live with you in power you know, the, the Bible says, be strong in the Lord, in Christ, and in his mighty power, Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. So again, uh, you take away one of these points, just one of them, of those 12 points. And all of a sudden, that rock, it starts to crumble. And certainly, if you take away, if you take away, that central, fundamental truth of our faith that Jesus is risen from the dead. What, what are you left with? Verse 14, a futile, a empty, a powerless faith. So then, um, you know, why else is it that if you remove this, this belief, this teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead, why else is it that you know, why are there so many dire consequences? Well, uh, verse 17 continues. It says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And so, you know, we're going to be having communion uh, this morning. And let me introduce it uh, just with just with a short little lesson on this verse. Again, it says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your uh, in your sins. It, you know, uh, this verse says that our very salvation, our very salvation is based on uh, giving our life to the Jesus who not only died on the cross, 
but was resurrected from the dead. Now, here's the deal. It's possible, listen up now, it's possible for you to give your life to another Jesus. Now, people do it all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 speaks about false teachers who preach another Jesus. A man or woman can give their life to a different Jesus. A Jesus who was, in fact, alive at some point. is a great example. Died, died on the cross as, as sort of an example of, of willing to, to die for everyone else. But, you know, he didn't raise from the dead. You know, it's always amusing to me when, you know, you, you get some uh, religious person from one of the divinity schools around here or in some denomination, some bishop or whatever somewhere, and uh, come out and declare that, you know, Jesus, Jesus never rose from the dead. As if it was some modern enlightened idea <laughs> that, 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 you know, took man 2,000 years to figure out. Well, it's not some modern idea. Uh, it's old-fashioned self-righteousness. It was alive and well in Corinth 2,000 years ago. In the Greek city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, verse 12. Some of you have denied that Jesus rose from the dead in the resurrection. So, you know, there are people today, and there were people then, who had concocted a righteousness apart from the resurrected Christ. And what kind of righteousness was it? Well, it was a self-righteousness, a righteousness based on how good I am rather than the righteousness of Christ. Jesus spoke to these very people in Matthew 23, verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Jesus says that man-made righteousness is like dead man's bones. They're not even alive bones. They're dead. But, they, you know, it's surrounded by sort of an appearance, a whitewashed home, a, an appearance of righteousness. So uh, notice what verse 17 here in uh, chapter 15 does not say. It does not say unless you live up to a certain standard of good behavior, you are still in your sins. It doesn't say that. It says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Same kind of word, empty, and you are still in your sins. Remember what Jesus said in, I believe it was John chapter 8, to the people. He said, if you do not believe who I am, you will die in your sins. He's talking about eternity apart from him there. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up. He was crucified for our sin, but he was raised for our justification. So on the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. Uh, you know, we sin. The penalty for our sin, the Bible says, is death. Uh, but Jesus died in our place. That's what happened on the cross. But it didn't end there. God accepted that penalty. He accepted that payment. And as proof of that, Jesus was raised from the dead. And it says again, Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification. What does that mean? Justification. Easy way to remember what it means. Just as if I've never sinned. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I thank God that there's not even one sin in heaven. Because the requirement to get into heaven is perfection, as Jesus said. But with Christ in our life, 
Christ who lived a perfect life, Christ who knocks at the door of our heart and we can invite him in, God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness, and it is just as if we've never sinned. So he died for our sins, he was raised for our justification. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. And so, never believe that what you believe can be bartered away, sold away, negotiated away in your life. Verse 1 says you're standing on a rock, the rock of the good news. And the good news is that Christ died and he was uh, raised again. I'll ask the worship team to come up. We're going to uh, have uh, just some time of, uh, of worship. Is the worship team, the worship team is Albert. The worship guy, Albert, is going to come up. And we're now going to have uh, a time of communion. The worship guys, sorry, Mark. We're going to have a time of communion. No, Jesus, again, same time and place as John chapter 16, right before he uh, died, he instituted, he started the Lord's Supper, the wine and the bread. And it was something that was began, he began for Christians, for children of God. If you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never responded to that knocking, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks, and if you've never opened up, please come up while Albert is playing, and we can pray for you to receive Jesus. If you've done that, though, if you've opened up the door of your heart while Albert is playing and people are worshiping, you can go back and you can just get the elements, come back to your seat, and and we will have communion together. Okay. God bless.
Spirit, verse 23, chapter 12, he said, For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that What your word says, the word says that you did not consider it something to be held on to, being 
equal, living in heaven with the Lord, uh, with Father, the Father God, and you became uh, nothing and took on the appearance of man, suffered and died for us. And that one day it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, that you are Christ, the Christ, the one who died and rose for us. Lord, we ask for that resurrected life and power in our lives. Father, if there's anyone here, Lord God, who has, Lord, again, they're, 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 there's just an emptiness, a futility, a, an anemia, a sickness in their, in their walk with you, Lord. I just pray, God, align their heart with who you are. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray that for all of us, Lord, uh, this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord. Your word says that though when we give our life to you, we go to the cross. That we don't stay there. That we, like Christ, was raised from the dead, we are raised into newness of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, why don't we stand? We will close with a worship song. God bless you.
presence, Lord. Worthy is your name, and I pray for all of us, God, that uh, you'd help us just to set you as our all in all in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.